Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Hi, Broad Street Hockey. This is Kelly, and I'm here with the legendary Lou Nolan. Um, and he is, of course, the in-arena announcer for the Philadelphia Flyers, has been for years. And he just released a book entitled If These Walls Could Talk, Stories from the Philadelphia Flyers Ice, Locker Room, and Press Box. Lou, thank you again for agreeing to meet with me. <clears throat> well, uh, sure, Kelly. Happy to do it. And uh, glad to be on Broad Street Hockey. So first things first, uh, the book is absolutely fantastic. Um, it was a joy to read, super easy to read, and it feels a lot like being told stories um, over a couple of beers with someone that Flyers fans really think of, I think, as an old friend. Um, <laughs> what made you finally want to get all of these stories uh, recorded? Well, uh, uh, for years people have always said, geez, you know, you should write a book, you've been in the middle of all the things that happened, you've been through Stanley Cups, you've done this, you've done that, uh, and, um, you know, that's fine, and saying it is one thing and doing it is a second, and uh, I was approached uh, by uh, Triumph Publishing through Camp Sam Carcitti, who was written a writer for the Inquirer, carries the hockey beat, mm-hmm. and uh, we started talking about it, and uh, I said, yeah, well, you know, yeah, maybe we will do something, and, we, uh, we met for uh, uh, all through the summer, several hours worth of recording questions and answers and, and conversations about different things. And Sam was, uh, was able to uh, put it together. Uh, he's a very talented guy, written several books. And uh, I think we got, uh, we got something there that every fan will enjoy reading. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the book is it kind of goes back and forth between stories about the old teams from the 70s and 80s and kind of um, anecdotes and observations about our current team, um, which I think is super enjoyable. Um, And I think that sometimes it's hard for fans to see the big picture during the ups and downs of a hockey season. And in the book, you say that you get the sense that this team, the current Flyers team, is headed towards some very special times. Um, Why do you think this team's headed in the right direction? Well, I think that... uh... General Manager Ron Hextall has has a plan, uh, and, um, and he's sticking with his plan, which was to add a lot of speed to our team, something that we really didn't have. You know, for years we were the big guys, and uh, you know took advantage of the rules, win a couple Stanley Cups and things like that. Not that the team wasn't talented; they were very. I mean, you know, you don't get guys scoring uh, goals in the sixties and seventies like Reggie did in uh, hundred point years from an entire line. You just don't doesn't happen without being talented. But, uh, you know, it's just it's just that the, this team is being a little more suited uh, for the times. The game has changed. And um, uh, I think that uh, speed is the one thing that we can point to with this group. Uh, plus, uh, you know, I mean, they've got a lot of guys knocking on the door here. Oh, uh, yeah. Because of some injuries, some of them are here. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, um, um, they're showing what they can do. Uh, several will learn from mistakes that young guys make, and they, they, their heads are in the right place. And I think they've got uh, a good good coach, and the uh, leadership's good. The leadership group is strong, 
and uh, I, ju- I just feel that uh, uh, things will go our way. Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. That's for sure. Um, one of the the things that I read um, that really made me, you know, shake my head in agreement was that you mentioned more than once that you really hate shootouts and that you think the ties were fine. And I totally agree with you. Um, what other changes that have you experienced over the years made to the game that you think um, aren't great changes? Well, uh, first of all, um, I, I don't believe that you should have an individual uh, uh, exercise uh, define a team game. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think if it's tied, it's tied. You know, it's, it's the way it goes. You take both teams take a point and they go. But the NHL wants to shoot out in, and I'll admit they're pretty exciting. I just don't care for them. Uh, maybe it's because we don't win all of them. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, along that line, I also like the fact that the, the red line uh, for two-line passes has lengthened the game and it lengthened the, you know, the, the, the ability to pass over that, over that red line and not be a two-line pass. I think that's great for offense or offense, as they call it in Canada. <laughs> uh, but uh, what I don't really care for very much are how they've changed some of the penalties uh, some of the things that, uh, you know, they're, they're a little on the soft side. And, yeah. um, you know, you just, the, the hook is not a hook anymore. A hook is like touch a guy's hands with a stick. Yes. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, if, if you slash a stick out of a guy's hand, you know, you get two minutes. Well, the guy didn't have a good grip on it and you just knock it out of his hands. Okay. You know, if you, if it breaks in half, okay, I can understand that. But so many of these, these composite sticks now, if they happen to tick a skate blade, uh, they're doomed. They're gonna they're gonna bust right in half. That's why you see players shoot and the sticks break in half. They've probably been ticked by uh, by a skate blade or something like that. Uh, uh, so you constantly see players uh, stressing their sticks on the ice before faceoffs to see if actually they're they're going to be okay on on shots and things like that. But soft penalties, you know, uh, that 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 bothers me more than anything. I think it doesn't really bother me. It's part of the game. But uh, it's what the uh, what the owners want, and uh, the commissioner uh, follows that through for them. So um, I guess it's it's a good thing. Yeah, sla- I think slashing in particular this season has been a little bit frustrating to watch. It's kind of hard to know what's a slash anymore. But we yeah, all high learn as high we watch. I mean, we know what that is. But, yeah. you know, the other stuff is uh, difficult. Okay, so um, as I mentioned earlier uh, when we were speaking, I've been a Flyers fan since the late '90s. Um, and even through all of that time, I can honestly say that the most shocking day that I've experienced as a Flyers fan was the day that both Mike Richards and Jeff Carter were traded kind of one right after the other. And I was actually, um, surprised that, you know, given your long history with the team, that was one of the most shocking days for you too. Um, it kind of seemed like you were more shocked by that than when we traded Bernie. Is that right? Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, maybe, and, and you know, uh, I was the same age as, as uh, most of those guys in the early years. The younger guys, the team's a little older, more mature. But I was, I was about the same age as as uh, Bernie and, and Doug Favell and, and some of the young guys that were on that team. So uh, maybe I wasn't as involved uh, when all that happened, and mm-hmm. I wasn't down on the ice. Uh, you know, I did some traveling with the team. That was fine, and got to know those guys pretty well. But it, it it wasn't the same as when, you know, you trade uh, guys that are 
destined to be your heart and soul for the future uh, within like 35 minutes of one another. And mm-hmm. I'm sure the trades were brewing for a long while before they really happened. But, uh, you know, you pull the trigger and next thing you know, you've got some, some, some things that sort of really changed. Uh, I would say, Kelly, that uh, when you look back on, on some of these trades now, it's easy to, to quantify them because time, time has passed and you see people perform that are either A, the draft pick, or B, the player that came in. Uh, and I think the trades have been, been good for the Flyers uh, in, in both instances with, uh, with uh, you know, uh, Richards and Carter. Nice guys. Um, I never really could get close to either one of them, but nice guys. And uh, Bernie wound up back here, and we all know what happened there. So. <laughs> yeah, that worked out pretty well for us. <laughs> all history, yep. All right, so speaking about those teams from the 70s, one of the things that I really enjoyed, um, as someone who, you know, didn't get to watch Bobby Clark live, um, but obviously he, you know, his kind of presence hung over this team for, you know, as long as I can remember. Um, obviously he's a legend. So I really liked kind of reading the firsthand stories that you were able to share with people from the time that he was on the team. Um, and he topped your list of the greatest leaders in Flyers history. And one of the things that I was kind of wondering when I was reading that um, is I kind of always felt like Bobby Clark was not only a good leader, but he kind of embodied what it meant to be a Flyer. Um, I feel like more than most teams in the league, the Flyers kind of have cultivated a real culture um, around the team and the organization and just the Philadelphia region in general, like with the Youth Hockey Foundation and everything that Mr. Snyder did for the community, it's a real culture that I always felt like Bobby Clark really embodied more than anyone else. Um, is there anyone else that jumps out for you as not just a great leader or a great player, but a really great flyer? Well, first off, let me say, Kelly, that uh, Bob Clark established what it meant to be a flyer. Uh, he's a guy that... Uh, Everyone should choose to emulate um, going forward. Um, however, you know, he played a different game and it was a different time. And uh, uh, who knows what would have been with uh, the rules being what they are now with, uh, you know, the hands and the slash and this and that and the other that we just talked about with Bob. He might have had a lot more minors, but he still would have been a great player because he never stopped. Never, mm-hmm. ever stopped. And um, if he was playing against you, I mean, you, you better have your head up and you better protect the puck because he would take it away from me in a second. But, but uh, to, to answer the question, I thought that uh, a number of the Flyers' captains embodied that same thing. And, and if I could point to one guy, I would probably say Dave Poulin, who uh, uh, came in here uh, as, uh, as a free agent, so to speak, and sort of took over his team, you know, when he played with Hexy and with Timmy Kerr and those guys that went all, almost all the way.
game seven of the finals. But um, it's just a, it's just a, a terrible feeling to know that you were that close and not a, not be able to do it. Yeah, that um kind of takes me back to 2010 a little bit. <laughs> so so close, but yeah, well, true, just not quite. true. Um, yeah, so, Chicago. Yeah, yeah. I was actually at that game, and I didn't see the puck go in. And then the guy next to me, uh, who happened to be a Leafs fan, who was there with his kid, said, "Oh, sorry about that." And I was still like, "Wait, what? What happened? I don't know." <laughs> I'll never forget well, that. I didn't see it going either, and it was it disappeared under the uh, the white flap that they put around the, the net to cover the oh. you know the, um, yeah. the inside there. But uh, you could tell Pat Kane. I mean, he just came out of there. He knew. You know, yeah. throwing his equipment all over and everything else. And the referees did, couldn't, didn't find the puck right away, so they actually waited to make the call. And, I mean, I knew. it was. <laughs> then they celebrated for a couple of hours, maybe longer than that in our own rink. Yeah. That's a, that's a bad thing. No, but we're going to get there soon enough. I'm, I know it. Um, I hope so. I think so, too. So I think kind of the coolest thing about your story is that you kind of ended up with, you know, one of the, you know, the coolest jobs ever, really. Um, just kind of by taking advantage of being in the right place at the right time and, you know, kind of just a little bit getting lucky, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, you have a lot of talent for the job and, and you did the hard work, but it seemed kind of like just kind of knowing the right people at the time that the team was coming together kind of worked in your favor and as a result of getting this super cool job um not only the hockey stuff you've gotten to see a lot of cool things um happen at both the spectrum and the wells fargo center um what's your favorite non-hockey memory from your time oh boy non-hockey memory well just the people i've met you know kate smith she was pretty cool i mean you know uh, she was uh, uh certainly worked with us pretty well you know and um, making the all being to the All Star Games, I guess it, it, it's hard to, to to really designate something as a non hockey memory uh, and the coolest thing because everything revolved around the game. Yeah, you know, doing yeah. the Olympics uh, parades, the two parades I was in. You know, I took the cup to work. Oh, that's when cool. I worked for uh, <laughs> PSFS Bank. That was before the days of the white gloves. Uh, you know, and yeah. uh, it was, it traveled to, uh, we were at Independence Hall for pictures with the owners. And Joe Cadillac called me and said, you want to get a picture with the Liberty Bell in the cup? I said, oh, sure. <laughs> so uh, there I was. And uh, when the, uh, and we finished with it, I asked the curator of the Hockey Hall of Fame who watched over the cup, a guy named Lefty Reed, an old style guy. I said, you know, that's where I work up there. Can we take the cup there? He says, sure, why not? So it was in a trash bag, and we put it in the car and put the seatbelt on it, and uh, took it up, took it up to Twelfth of Market. It was a big surprise when I come walking in with it. Believe me, in the big bank lobby. It was in a trash bag. <laughs> well, I mean, we could, the box wouldn't fit the car. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it travels in a huge box. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you got to protect it, but yeah. you can't. Well, you got to put cover it up with something, otherwise it'd be a traffic jam. That's, that's you know? yeah. <laughs> I yeah, can't imagine looking just... in the car and seeing the top of the cup sticking up in the passenger seat. Yeah, that'll yeah. attract some attention for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, they they were probably you know, and, and again, uh, you know, all star games and the celebrities that you know you get to meet. Peter Jennings, one of them, uh, the all star game, Montreal, pretty good guy. 
people like that. Okay. Um, so just to, to get away from the book a little bit, um, we asked our readers to um, kind of submit some questions that they'd kind of like to get some answers to. And, and one of the ones that people asked about a lot was how you co- have come up with um, some of your, at this point, iconic um, in-game announcing things. Things like the Pico Power Play, the way that you say that. Um, your are you ready for some hockey? And um, my personal favorite is the way that you call hooking penalties. It always makes me smile every time you say it. Hooking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> How do you come up yeah, with those? Well, uh, the, uh, uh, the Pico Power Play, first of all, uh, obviously the ad guys sold Pico on mm-hmm. this concept and they came to me. Uh, and said, uh, we're going to announce this before every power play. So, you know, I try not to be a cheerleader. And and, uh, that first one came out, oh, we're going to the Pico power play. And they said, you got to give it more juice. And (laughs) over a couple of games, it became, give it more juice, give it more juice. And, um, you know, then I sort of got into it. And uh, and Pico liked it. They produced uh, little buttons that are somewhat like the, that was easy button except there's a Flyers logo on it, and you push it, it says, you know, has me saying that Pico Power Play thing. Oh, that's pretty cool. And, um, yeah, there are a few of those around. And, uh, <laughs> not a whole lot, but a few. And, um, you know, so, you know, that was that was one of them. And it continues to, you know, that people like it today. In fact, people tell me that, and I can't hear them, but I understand that the fans in the stands say it when I say it. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can never hear that. I'm, in, I'm enclosed in glass. You know? <laughs> um, uh, the uh, the hooking thing, just uh, I started to do it. And um, uh, Mark Wyatt, who is the guy that runs the music up there, and I, we talk once in a while. And uh, I think I put hooking for him. Started out with that hooking, yeah. just for fun. <laughs> and uh, we always kid about it when I say it. But that's the only one that really has a, penalty has a distinction. Yeah, it's... But, uh, yeah. It's fun. And are you ready for some hockey? Well, I did that a couple of years, I guess. I don't know. And uh, now they've uh, uh, asked uh, a fan who's designated to say it. And uh, Shawnee Hill, the interim host, my colleague there, mm-hmm. uh, meets with a fan before the game, and the, the fan gets a chance to say it. And um, it's cool. It's cool. You know, the little kids, you know, belt it out. And, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Oh, I actually didn't realize that they had fans doing it now. That is, that is very cool. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, what is your favorite all-time Flyers line combination? Well, the line that produced the most, I think, uh, LCB line, mm. Leach, Clark, and Barber, uh, by far. Yeah, it's hard uh, to argue with that and, one. Uh, I mean, well, they have 141 goals one time. One year, oh, something God. like that. Yeah, uh, I have a uh, the Flyers produced a um, something that sort of looked like a dollar bill. Mm-hmm. It had all three guys' pictures on it. It was orange, of course. And <laughs> when uh, when they they apparently got the one of the one of those goals there, you know, they threw them out off the balconies of the Spectrum, and you know, they came running down like confetti. And uh, you know, I got a few of those. Oh, uh, wow. That's pretty cool. And uh, but they are. They are by far the best line. By far. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. I, of course, go for the Legion of Doom for nostalgic reasons, but well, definitely hard to argue yeah, with the LCB Not far line. from it. Just, uh, you know, a little different. 
Yeah. Where, you know, Eric wasn't afraid to pass from anywhere, and he did a lot of these great passes from behind the net. You know, just lift them up. He had a, he had a way to do it. Just lift it up enough over the defenseman's stick to get it out front. And John was always there. John yep. was there. Boom. Score. You know, and Redberg was the guy that would, would uh, blast him in off the wing. And uh, they, they, they're big. They were big. That was maybe the biggest line we ever had uh, from the standpoint of um, just heft. Yeah, uh, and, they were uh, big guys. Power. You know, just power. So one of our readers suggested that Game 6 of the 1987 Cup Finals might have been the loudest Flyers crowd ever. Um, can you remember the loudest Flyers crowd that you experienced? Uh, it's really hard to, 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 to say anything other than, you know, as we went down to the first Stanley Cup, uh, that would be, be the one. Um, and uh, I guess that would be the one they're talking about. You know, 87, uh, maybe. 87, uh, I don't think so. That would be, that was in the uh, the, uh, the Wells Fargo Center, right? 87? No, I think that was still Spectrum. Yeah. Spectrum? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Dates and me don't, don't agree. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I, the first Stanley Cup was incredible because you couldn't even hear yourself think. I mean, my announcements, yeah. you couldn't even hear them near the end of the game. The last minute of play and things like that, penalty to Bobby Orr, people, you know, they just couldn't even hear it at all. So that would be the one, May 19th, 1974. Um, and I also think that when uh, J.J. Daniel scored his goal in overtime to beat Quebec to advance us, I don't think it was that particular game, but it might have been. I don't know. J.J. Daniel scored for the point, and um, uh, that was uh, unbelievable. Boom! You know, just an outburst. The loud, one of the loudest things I've ever heard. Ones that make your headset crackle, because I'm always on headsets. Oh, wow. You know, when they crackle, they crackle. Yeah, you, uh, you know that the crowd is really getting into it. Yeah. But I th- uh, that was, uh, you know, that was something else. I think that was one of the things that kind of made the Spectrum so special. Um, I didn't get to see any Flyers games there, but I went to a lot of Phantoms games when they were in Philly. And even for those games, that building just got so crazy loud in a way that the the Wells Fargo Center just can't because it's so big. But um, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, the way that the sound well, bounced yeah. around in the spectrum was amazing. You could take the spectrum and put it inside, lengthwise of the of the spectrum inside the width of the Wells Fargo Center. I mean, that's the that's as big as the building is. Oh, the wow. pitch of the building is different. Yeah. The the, the the Spectrum was more of a hockey building, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, with a different pitch in the stands, only because they didn't have to really make sure that there were, uh, you know, boxes for different different levels of seats, right? Yeah, and premium stuff. And um, this is, you know, it's wide now. It's wide, and uh, the first game that was ever played there, uh, it was actually was Canada uh, and the U.S. in uh, World Cup of Hockey, mm. and uh, I think it was Canada. It might have been Sweden. Anyway, USA won, and that was very loud that day. Very loud. That's, that's cool. Um, okay, so I have one more question for you, and it takes us back sure. to the book a little bit. Um, towards the end, you um, tell a lot of anecdotes about players kind of being goofy and which ones kind of made it a point to make things a little more fun. Like, I think Scott Hartnell seemed like he was a big clown. Um, oh, yeah. Who would you say on the current Flyers roster is the biggest goofball? 
I don't know. Uh, there are some guys that are that are goofballs. Uh, you know, and you see it when they come out for the warm up and they're in the hallway getting ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as, as big a goofball uh, as any is it really a player. It's one of the guys, the equipment manager, Derek Settlemeyer, who is crazy as all hell, and uh, he is. Uh, He's a wild man. He's a, he's a good guy, and he keeps everybody loose, you know. And uh, back in the day, Jr. You know, oh, Jr. was was good. And Bernie early on. So, you know, from the standpoint of today's players, I don't know. I'm not in the room before the game. You know, you hear a lot of guys that try to uh, make it loud mm-hmm. and uh, say different things. But today's players are a little bit different. But I'm sure they have their crazy guys that. Uh, do the things like cut your ties in half and, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, nail your shoes to the floor, you know, <laughs> we even had, we even had a, the guys, uh, Russ Lonsbury early on wore a toupee mm-hmm. and they even cut his toupee in half. I mean, they, oh my God. you know, the early guys, yeah, they didn't put stick on that. Yeah. I, did that stuff early on. I really like those stories. You could, I mean, I guess it was a different time, like a little bit more like the movie Slapshot where these guys were really just. They were professional athletes, but they were, you know, kids playing a game, having fun, and it, it really kind of came across in those stories, and it was really fun to read. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, today, um, uh, we're just talking about it with a couple guys at the carnival. You know, the, the players uh, are measured in every possible way that they can be. Uh, they have a chef over at the uh, uh, practice facility, Make sure that the nutrition is right and meals guys eat. Uh, you know, there's uh, uh, the training staff is different, um, and uh, you know the, the, when the guys come into camp, uh, they're measured how they how they worked out over the summer. Mm-hmm. And you know, back in the day, the Stanley Cup years, the guys arrived at training camp to get in shape. Yeah. Now you arrive at training camp, you better be in shape, or something's going to take your job. So. The players are the players are different, just because the stakes are a lot bigger. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, salaries are huge in certain instances, and I mean everybody makes a good living. Guys make the NHL; they're doing okay. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, it's uh, they they want to work to get a lot out of the players uh, all the time. All right, Lou. Well, thank you very much for having this little chat with me. I really enjoyed it. Um, once again, his book is called If These Walls Could Talk. And if you are a Flyers fan or if you have a Flyers fan that you know or love that you want to get a gift for this holiday season, I really just can't recommend it enough. It's an excellent book, an excellent read, and you will not be sorry if you pick it up. Lou, thank you so much for speaking with us today. You're very welcome. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's Amazon, it's Barnes & Noble, uh, it's at the center in the team store, and, and Sam, Sam Carcitti and I will be signing books down there on the 16th. Uh, for about, uh, I don't know, from about 4.30 to 6.15 when I've got to go to work. So anybody oh, grabs one there, get it signed. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. Awesome. A lot of fun. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lou. You're welcome, Kelly. You take care, and uh, thanks for getting me on. You're welcome. Have a good night. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, 
maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.